Another chance to hear Geraldine Jameson in conversation with the late Sir Norman Wisdom. The programme was recorded in the 1980s and was last broadcast in 2005 when Sir Norman announced his retirement from show business. Geraldine started by asking him about his childhood. I was born in Maribyrn and, um, and then I went to school in Paddington, which is not far away. But did you spend then your first days, your early childhood in London? Uh, very early childhood, yes, until I was about nine. And then, unfortunately, my, my parents split up while they were divorced. Well, anyway, my, my, my father's he put us with guardians. I say us because there was my brother and I. And uh, after about a year, apparently, he wasn't paying the necessary money to pay for the food. And then, uh, But our, our diet came down to the occasional slice of bread and jam, and then it got the bread and drip in, which I prefer, actually. And, and then uh, it was really tough. This is a real sob story. I mean, my heart bleeds for you. I don't know it actually is? whether to believe you or not. Well, no, I give you my true. word. No, that's really true, Geraldine, really true. And, and um, I don't mind because I, I, I used to go on scrounge, true. We used to go to the, I keep saying we, but we, we used to go to the school where the girls practiced cookery and we used to eat what, you know, what they'd made a mess of, but sometimes it was very good. We, and so we kept going, all right. When I left school, which was 14, I hopped it. Went, you know, left, that was in Deal in Kent. I went to London, was um, a commie waiter at the... Artillery Mansions Hotel in Victoria Street. It's no longer there. Well, it's there, but it's a block of flats now, not a hotel. Had you any real idea at that stage what you were going to do in life? No, none whatsoever. Now, I was just hoping that I might be able to earn a living. I would have gone down the mines. I'd have done anything, anything at all at that time, anything to get food and uh, somewhere to sleep. But, uh, but despite all these things, you know, it sounds terrible, but I was very happy. And when you've got, when you don't know any better, it's great because when you... When you pick up a banana that's just fallen off a stall somewhere down the back street, you know, you enjoy that banana much more than if you're taking it off a silver tray <laughs> or it has been handed to you, rather, on a silver tray. And, of course, children, anyway, are fairly happy-go-lucky and compensate, really, for whatever situation in which they find themselves, don't they? They take the situation there because they don't realise there's any other, and that's the one. Life is wonderful. Uh, you were telling me earlier, though, that at this tender age of 14... You suddenly hopped it, as you say yourself, onto a boat that took you to the Argentine. Well, that's right. That well, at the uh, I must tell you about the Artillery Mansions Hotel. I was a commie waiter. Now, but um, with another a fellow, a little Welsh boy, was a page boy there, and he persuaded me that I, the ideal life, would be working down the mines. And so together we packed a boot box with food. You know, the old cardboard boot box, and we went off and walked from London to Cardiff. We really did, there was no hitchhiking in those days. And uh, when we got to Cardiff, we'd nearly finished the food anyway, but he was, I was gonna live with him, see? And then we go down the mines. But when we got to Cardiff, he lived just outside at a place called Hengord, which is about 20 or 30 miles outside of Cardiff. And he quite, as I realize now, deliberately picked a quarrel because he knew that his parents wouldn't let me live with, with um, in their house. He picked a quarrel, he was bigger than I was, and he pinched what was left of the food in the boot box, and that was the last I saw of him, and, and uh, I was stranded in Cardiff on my own. And I, my, I wandered my way, I suppose, more out of curiosity than anything else, down to the shipyards. To the docks. Now, yeah, to mm. the docks. Now, I, I'm, uh, this time it was, it was tough going, there weren't any jobs knocking about, and, and if I'd gone down to the proper dock and asked for a job, n no way. 
but I inadvertently went down to the, the ship repair yard where there was, the, there was a ship that had just finished being repaired. What it had done to it, I don't know. But I went on that ship and I asked for a job and they gave me a job as a cabin boy. And um, Had you ever been on the sea before? No, I'd never been away to sea. You know, I, I slept on board sort of thing for a couple of nights and, and about the third day after that I was on the high seas on the way to the Argentine, spewing all over the side deck. <laughs> <laughs> and of course there was yes. no way they could sack you then or return you to shore. <laughs> no, had too it. late. They could have t- chucked me in but they'd have got into trouble. Mm. No, but and, and I was all right after two or three days and then went through the roughest of seas without any effect on me. But in, I was, then I was in the Argentine. When I came back from the Argentine, I, I got the sack off the ship. Well, so did everybody else, because they, they'd all signed off, you see. And I remember that I, I walked to London. And f- in fact, the, the, the Labour Exchange sent me to a job in London at, uh, at Earl's Court as a kitchen boy. By the time I got there, you, you can understand, this is a couple of days later, by the time I got to London and I was hungry and, I, and I'd got this job at Earl's Court and I went in and they said, that's where you sleep and, that's and so forth. And you start work in the morning, but of course that same night I was caught in the larder, raiding the larder for food. I was starving <laughs> hungry and I got the sack straight away. I didn't even start the job. Not again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so I was hopeless. And then I went to a coffee. I'm talking about half past three in the morning. This is real. Uh, walking the streets of London, I slept behind the Marshall Fox statue at Victoria Station. And I used to go to a coffee stall and just look over the coffee stall, which just used to come up. I could just see over the edge of this coffee stall. And after about ten minutes of this, just looking at the man, he would shove me a hot pie and a cup of bovril, or a mug of bovril. And then he said to me, well, after three or four nights of this, he said, why don't you join the army, son? I said, don't be daft, no, I'm not big enough. No one would have me. He said, you'll get in the band. Get, if you got into the band, he said, because you can join as a boy and they know, you, they know that you'll grow up and by the time you're 18, that's when you come on your service, as it were, then, um, you know, you're all right. And I said, really, that's true? He said, yeah. So I went to Scotland Yard, which was the recruiting centre the following morning, and... And to my amazement, they, I passed the medical examination and then I went on the waiting list to get into the army as a boy. Eventually a letter came that I'd been accepted and I went into the army. And I was in the 10th Royal Hussars and I was away in India before you know what happened. Nice and brown and regular food, regular bed, companionship, pals, learning to play the clarinet. I was a trumpeter on guard within a couple of months or oh, heaven. Well, why didn't you make the army a career then? I mean, when did you start to become well, I, a comedian? I, I intended to. I intended to um, make it a career at that time because it was a wonderful opportunity. And then I started, I, I went, I used to go into the wash house and, and I, I taught myself to tap dance because when you first start playing on clarinet, it's two or three years before you reckon to be playing out with the band on engagements. And so in, in the meantime, you carry the drums about and you do all the chores, you see. On, they call it drum fatigues and prop fatigues. So I went into the wash house, I taught myself to tap, tap dance, and then I went to the bandmaster and I said, excuse me, so um, what would it be like if somebody did a tap dance in front of the band when you're having a concert? And he said, it would be very good wisdom. Why? I said, well, I, I can... Uh, tap dance so he said oh really well let me see you so I did right in the office there I did a little tap dance with me army boots and all that honestly and he said fine and when we had the, the concert 
I was out front tap dancing, got applause from the troops. So then I went to the bandmaster and I said, excuse me, sir. He said, yes. I said, when when were you doing a concert and I do a tap dance? Supposing I come back later and and, and um, when you're doing the sea shanties, because the whole band used to do sea shanties, you know. We hear you could in the jaunting car, you know those things. I said, there's nobody singing the solos, and supposing I did that, he said, well, wisdom, don't tell. I said, yes, sir. <laughs> you can do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so then I used to sit in front of the band holding the clarinet, just playing occasional chuck-chuck. You know what chuck-chuck is, do you? No, the please enlighten me. Well, I mean, if you, if you, if for instance, if the band's playing the Blue Danube, you know, you get da 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 dem chuck 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 <laughs> la da da dee da da dum chuck 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 chuck. <laughs> and the whole thing's thrown into confusion. <laughs> well, no, they 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 fit in musically. It's third clarinet plays chuck chucks, and I was sitting there playing third clarinet chuck chucks, which is dead easy. And then I'd go out and and uh, do my tap dance, and then then I would uh, sing a song after that, and the audience are saying, oh dear, this little fella, look, he's singing and dancing, and, and he's playing the clarinet. And so then the band went up into the hills on a, on a very important engagement for about three months, and I was left down, I was left down on the plains, as it were, then at Lucknow, doing trumpet guards, because, you know, I blow cookhouse and last post and all those, you see, on trumpet. And... I tried something else. I got an old xylophone. Nobody played xylophone. I got an old xylophone out of the store and I practiced it. Um, a piece called Two Imps and um, so on. And you know, I'm going quicker than I ever did. It used to be. <laughs> and when the band came down, it was customary to do band rehearsal in the morning. And uh, when they get to, say, half an hour before the end, they'd run out of the music they were practicing and the bandmaster would say, anybody fancy anything in particular? And I said, uh, how about snowflakes? Uh, and the bandmaster said, but Wisdom, that is the xylophone solo. And all the band laughed and I said, yes, sir. I and can I, do that too now. And he said, Wisdom, don't tell <laughs> me. <laughs> and so we got the xylophone out and, and I played the xylophone. The band all had their music as well. And then in the very next concert, I was playing xylophone, singing, dancing, playing clarinet. Oh, dear. Oh. Well, I might be stepping out of sequence here a little bit, but when did that, uh, you know, tight-fitting suit and cap of yours come into being? Well, that was that was um, quite quite a few years later because, well, not all that many. But when we when we came back to England, um, I decided that I would try it professionally because I'd done other concerts. I did a concert, say, uh, for instance, at the Cheltenham Town Hall uh, and so on, and it had gone very well. So I left the army, which I was entitled to at that time then, and uh, and, and I, I went to Collins Music Hall. At that time, I was doing an act in, in a misfit uh, evening dress, you know, tails and the lot, where the shirt front used to come up and cover my face and all that sort of thing. At the wrong moment. That's right. The circumstances was were strange. I just went to the manager and I said, "Excuse me, sir, I want to go on the stage." And he said, "Well, what have you done?" I said, "Well, in the army concert." He said, "Oh, don't be silly." He said, "There's, there's, there's professional artists that are coming out of the army, actors out of work, theatres are closing, variety of places are closing all over the country, and you want to start? Go away, son." So I took a room nearby, and for three weeks I became that man's shadow. And I mean, if he lifted a a, a, a glass of beer to his mouth in the bar 
my head was under his arm until he, in the finish he said look oh look if, if if i let you go on first house monday and you're no good will you promise to go away and leave me alone so i said okay he said all right and if you stay for the week i'll give you five quid and i agreed and i went on first house monday nobody came round after the show to say you know that uh, get out nobody came round to say well done either but at but least I was still I was still on the next house and the next house I worked harder still and and I wasn't quite so frightened and then by Wednesday this was on the Monday you see but by Wednesday I was getting confident and getting a few laughs and on Thursday a man came round to the dressing room and he said um, how would you like to work the Portsmouth Coliseum next week and I said oh dearly I would please so I was booked for the Portsmouth Coliseum and and I wrote it down in my little book I bought a diary for my engagements, you see, and and uh, on the Saturday night, another fella came in, and he said, um, "I'd like to book you for the the Grand Theatre, Basingstoke," and I said, "I shall have to have a look at my diary to see if I've got some." <laughs> and uh, I said, "Yes, yes." I said, "Yes, you'll be all right. You're lucky there, you see." And I was booked for the Basingstoke. Just about fit you in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the bull that goes on in show business—you have no idea. And you know what I mean by bull, don't you? Because I suppose you're keen on fight the bullfight. And, <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> so anyway, I, I went to um, Portsmouth and, and uh, it went very well. Cutting a long story short, it was the first time I heard real laughs and applause. And uh, and what a difference, because that gave me the confidence. When I went to Basingstoke the following week, <laughs> I did the first house and the manager came round after first house. And I thought, oh, God, here we go again, you see. And he said, he said, can you do another spot for me in the second half? The second half of the show, not second house. And I said, well, I, 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 I've only got the first spot. He said, oh, dear. I said, but I'll do a second spot for you tomorrow night. And I sat up all night and I wrote another spot. And I did it on the Tuesday night. And it was a wow. And, uh, and that that became my best act. I slung the first one out. Because that was playing piano and messing about and, and uh, doing the falls and dancing and singing and so forth. And then uh, an agent come along and he asked me if I would like to have an agent. And I said, well, yeah, because then an agent gets your work. He said, that's right. That's right. And so I went. He got me a job at the Spa Theatre Scarborough for the summer season. I'd, I'd got all my work uh, covered and my various acts for the four shows hard work that was but I, I got it all written <clears throat> there was a conjurer on the bill who we got to the last show and he said and I shared a dressing room funnily enough with him he said I'm, I'm in trouble on the last act he said if you if he said would you come on and and I, I, if I mess up a couple of tricks you come up and mess, mess, mess them up with me and then in that way you know I'll complete that'll be my last week's work oh dear what do you do and I said oh yeah yeah all right of course I was game for anything anyway so I went out and I bought a little suit tight-fitting suit for 30 shillings that's one pound 50 for those who uh, <laughs> are too young to know that was 30 shillings and I bought a cap a little tight-fitting cap for a, a shilling one shilling what's that 5p isn't it I think so so um and I went on and the, that, that act was a wow. And we were booked for the London Casino at the end of the season. It's remarkable to think mm. that that 31 shillings 
has actually made you a fortune when you yeah. look at yes, it. Yes, yes. But what about the, your little cute trip? Did that come about by accident? Oh, no, this was all in the army, in, in you know, if you were out marching, the fellas used to be saying, I mean, I did it after a while, I had larking about, but the fellas used to be saying behind me, trip whizzy, 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 they used to call me, <laughs> trip whizzy, because, I mean, you can say to a sergeant major, um, <laughs> or you can say other rude things to them apart from that, <laughs> but... But when it comes to tripping and things like that, they can't prove that it is deliberate insubordination. So you trip and you drop your rifle and you do all those things and the fellas know that I really wasn't as mental as all that and that I'm doing deliberately and they're, and they're having fun. Well, tell me about your experience in America because I believe there's a super story behind that, uh, all to do with the Ed Sullivan show, Norman. I'd, I just went over on spec because I had actually done a West End show called Sauce Piquant in which um, Audrey Hepburn was a chorus girl and we had a wonderful cast, you know, the cast was Bob Monkhouse and uh, um, Muriel Smith, um, oh, um, Tommy Cooper, all these people in the cast. But it, it was a show that only lasted for about 10 weeks and when it was finished I thought, well, that'll be my chance in the West End. Mind you, this is about 18 months or two years after I started, you know, the bays in Stoke and the Portsmouth I've been telling you about. Just had a breath there. <laughs> and 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 I, I I and I went into a cafe, had a cup of coffee, and there was a television up on a shelf, and there was a show going on there called Ed Sullivan's Toast of the Town, and I thought, well, that seems to be a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty uh, all-round variety type of show. I'll have a try for that. So I went and found, I wanted to see Ed Sullivan, but of course I, I soon found out that you don't do that. I, I found um, a, a man, his agent called, oh dear, dear, what's his name? Uh, Jim Jessel, something like that. And uh, I found Jim Jessel and I said, excuse me, sir, I'd, I'd like to get on the Ed Sullivan show. And he said, um, uh, listen, kid, we choose our artists, we choose them. They don't come and tell us. We, I said, oh. But but I, I I'm a comedian from England and I'd like an opportunity. So he said, uh, well you don't get one with us unless you make a name for yourself first because we choose them. Do you understand that kid? <laughs> so, I found out where Ed Sullivan lived, which was the Delmonica Hotel Park Avenue, and I went to the Delmonica Hotel Park Avenue, and I I found out his room number in there, and I went up to his room and knocked on the door. A man came out of the door and I said, um, I, my name's um, Mr. Wisdom, I have an appointment with Mr. Sullivan. And he said, oh, I didn't know anything about it. I said, oh, well, rest assured. Sort of, and he went in and he came out and he said, well, you come in. And I went into the hallway, which was a room, well, the hallway was about 12 feet square, which is not a bad size. And uh, I waited there for about 10 minutes and Ed Sullivan came out in the dressing room. Obviously, he hadn't been up very long, but then I suppose late nights and all that sort of thing, you can understand. And he just looked at me and he said, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I'm an English comedian and I just, I said, you'll have to forgive me. I've I, I, what you call gate crashed and I just would love to, to get onto your show. I, I saw it last night and... Uh, he said, all right, well, sh and he sat in a chair in the corner of this passage and he said, show me what you do. 
So again, I danced and I sang and I told some gags and I did the falling about and this went on for about, well, anything from four to seven minutes, which is a long time in a, in a small 12-foot square hallway with a bloke sitting in one chair watching. And nobody else there nobody, to applaud. No, and no band, no music, <laughs> nothing, you see. And he eventually he stood up and he said, that's how, thank you, uh, thank you, ma thank you. It's, it's very, very kind of you. I appreciate your initiative. But he said, I'm afraid I don't use that sort of thing in my show. And he said, uh, I want you to know that uh, I wish you luck. I said, I said, Mr. Sullivan, you're a gentleman to allow me to try. Thank you very much. And I left. And I came back to England. Of course, I was skint. <laughs> by this, I, mean, I was bloody hungry and all by this time. I tell you, oh, I keep on swearing, isn't it, Wicky? But still, it's accepted these days, isn't it? Especially if you're hungry. And uh, <laughs> I, I came back to England and I, I got a job and, at the Empress Hall in an ice show. And before, you know, I was, I was doing comedy on ice, mm -hmm. skating, and then a routine with an old uh, T-type Ford, you know, with the doors falling off and the steering wheel coming off in my hand and all that sort of thing. The song sheet, uh, oh, it was marvellous. This is only a few months later. And I am doing I'm doing this ice show, and um, a fella came round and said to me, he said, hey, who do you think's out front? I said, oh, he said, Lou Grade, you know, Lord Lou. And um, I had a message, would I go and see him the following morning? And so I went to his office, and he said, um, do you know what? He said, uh, I, 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 I did enjoy it last night. He said, I had a friend with me. And he said he would like you to go out into America and do a show for him. Oh, I said, back to America, and that's marvellous. I said, who was it? He said, it's a, a man called Ed Sullivan. And Ed Sullivan hadn't recognised me, and he'd come to see that show with Lou Grade, and he had said during the show, Jesus, I like this little guy. <laughs> and I went all the way back to America to do his show, and the thing was, the thing was that he had asked for me, and I remembered what this Jimmy Jessel fella had said. We don't... You know, unless they're not, a yeah. name, we don't have unless anyone. Unless they're a name, coast to coast, cream of the cream show. Absolutely right. Mm -hmm. So I said, "Well, yes, I'll go." But when he said, "But what?" I said, "I want two thousand pounds." Two thousand pounds. I mean, <laughs> two months before, I'd have done it for a stick of rock. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the best See, story I've oh, heard for many a moon. When I said to him, "You, you." You don't know me, and he said, "You know, there's there's something, there's something that that uh, something. I got something on the brain, you know. It's sort of ringing a bell, and I don't know what it." I said, "Well, I'm the fellow who came up into your little hallway and did it, and that, and you said you don't use that sort of thing in my show." And he looked at me and he said, "Jesus Christ, I, I must be mad." <laughs> now I don't want to rush you, Norman. And, and then at all. he said, "But then, then I, but I did several shows for him after that." I, d I went back and did several shows for him again mm -hmm. after that. No, you don't want to rush me. I'll tell you. <laughs> on. Will I finish? <laughs> How many films have you made? 19. And you made and 19 films in all. Trouble in Store, was that well, That was the first one I did, and that was with Perry Carstairs, and I got an, uh, an Academy Award for that. Absolutely. I made nine, 19. Really, it's 18, because that Light for Lucifer one, where I only did the little bit. Well, how many Royal Command performances? Seven. And there was a private one, wasn't there, for the Royal Command? Oh, yeah, one, at yeah well, a private one at Windsor Castle, mm. which was rather amusing too because <laughs> um, 
I, I was I was performing on the small stage in the sort of the ballroom, you see, and in front of the stage they had a it was all bedecked with flowers in the 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 pots, china pots and all that sort of thing, and there was a pathway leading down to Her Majesty who was sitting at that end of the path, and that was deliberate because you had to when you finished your act you sort of come off the stage, bow, and then go back on stage and so. But I came off the stage, walked right down the path and went close to Her Majesty and bowed, and then realized that on no, on no account must I turn my back on her to walk back up this path. Oh, so no. I backed up the path, and I missed the direction and went in all amongst the pots and the flowers <laughs> and everything else, you see, and it was a terrible mess, and i never forget that I didn't know what to do. There was a stunned silence, and I could see that she was actually worried and concerned because, you know, there was broken china and God knows what there. <laughs> and I looked at her and said, I said, it's all, your, it's all right, Your Majesty, I'll pay. <laughs> Everybody laughed and I shoved off and she... <laughs> we could go on talking all day. It's so really so enjoyable and very kind of you. And thank you very much for being my guest. And I think in uh, honour to your good self, what else can I do but to go out with your hit song? Oh, you, you, mean, you mean don't laugh at me? I would like to go out by just singing a bit of it and if you would applaud at the same time just you and I Geraldine shall we so don't laugh at me cause I'm fool I'm a fool that I love bye bye all